welcome to the fifth episode of PPE Encounters podcast. We're very excited to have you all here today. I'm Elsa. I'm Cecilia. And I'm Maria. And today we are joined by Carmen Delgado. Welcome. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Hello, hello, Elsa, Cecilia, Maria, and everyone who is listening to this. So I'm Carmen Delgado. I'm a Spanish national who is currently working for the International Committee of the Red Cross. I'm actually based in Geneva, but I have spent the last uh, 10 years uh, going, moving around uh, with the United Nations at first, and then uh, recently with the uh, Red Cross in different countries. Um, so I'm happy to, he- to be here. All right. So why don't you explain a little bit what you do for the Red Cross? What is your role in the Red Cross? And how did you get to where you are today? Okay, um, well, interesting question. You know that my mom is always asking me uh, that question. Uh, she's always uh, trying to understand what I do for the Red Cross and uh, I never find the right, uh, the right way to explain this to her. Um, well, it's, it's an interesting story because in fact, uh, my current position is, is a protection data coordinator. So I'm basically in the field of the data and information management. Um, however, there is specificities uh, of what we do in the Red Cross that is very different, for instance, what I was doing in the past. So my background is a bit um, is a bit uh, broader than that. I, I'm a historian. Um, I had a history degree, uh, but I turned uh, since a very early uh, ages into the information world uh, through the library works, and uh, after that uh, became an archivist. And um, I started um, working in a national parliament in, in Spain, uh, well, in a regional parliament, until I was around 31, I, th- I think, yeah, when I was already looking for uh, different experiences and try to broaden my, 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 my experience and my, uh, um, my knowledge and my, uh, my, my, my professional career into other, other areas. And I applied for a position um, as a UN volunteer. Well, I applied for a general uh, pool of volunteers and I um, got to uh, be selected for a position in Liberia, um, West Africa, for uh, to work in the peacekeeping mission as an information manager. Basically, I was working as a record manager. But this is a bit uh, how my life turned into working you know for a national um, authority a national government to suddenly make the jump to the international organizations so we spent a few a few years with the with the united Nations, which was very very interesting and um, and the learning process was amazing and i actually started working uh on the on a headquarter on the headquarter of the of the of the un in new york but i was always willing to go back to a field work like what I really was um, calling me was to go back to, to, to countries where we were closer to uh, affected people, no? that we could, um, where do you see the impact of the work actually? So that's how I got uh, to apply for positions in the International Committee of the Red Cross. I applied again for a pool 
once they 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 selected me, I uh, joined this amazing organization that gave me the opportunity to work in many in a, a little bit of a different area of the information work, which is actually uh, an area a little bit different uh, of what I was doing in the past, which was um, the management of data information and data related to uh, victims uh, that were assisted by the Red Cross. So basically the, uh, the organization has uh, databases where we register uh, the, benef the beneficiaries, the, 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 persons, the persons that vulnerable persons that need assistance from the, from the Red Cross. And uh, we use these tools to ensure that those persons are followed up, like the teams on the grounds are able to, um, to protect them Basically, uh, we, 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 we work in different, um, in different areas of work uh, within the protection framework, which is uh, basically work, we work with detainees, for instance. We visit detainees in places of detention and we ensure that we follow them up. We uh, ensure that they meet uh, um, conditions, etc. And uh, we also work a lot with um, families who has been separated or who has relative who has gone missing. So all this data and this information has to be managed. Uh, and this is actually what I do. When I was uh, working on the field, I was basically um, uh, coordinating all the data collection and all the data processing and preservation of, um, of all these cases. It's a bit different of what I do now because now I came back to the to the headquarter, so it's not even a year that I'm here in sort of a more coordinating role, where I'm ensuring that our actions, our protection actions in the field, and our data, data and information management process in the field are standard. The, that the policies accompany the needs of the operational needs of the offices at the field level um, and also coordinate here at the Geneva level with other departments uh, trying to, to evolve um, our systems, our support system, etc. to, to uh, basically with the, 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 the ultimate objective is to, to make things work at the field level so the teams on the ground can offer um, assistance to, to people uh, that are in need. So you already mentioned that you did field work, but now you're more in a coordinating role. Does your day look basically the same or does it really depend on where you're coordinating or did all of your field work look very similar or does it really depend on the region that you work in? No, I don't think that uh, no, uh, no one can say uh, in the ICRC that your day is the same every day. It, it's, really, uh, uh, it's really an adventure uh, where every day it's a different story. Uh, obviously, there are always uh, things that um, are you know, repeated in every context where you work. There are some common, uh, common issues that you deal with on a regular basis. But then uh, you, you really work in so many different things with so many different people and with situations that might be very fragile. So you are also um, exposed to, to emergencies that you need to you know, be very adaptable and very flexible to make things work around this. Um, so yeah, each experience in the field has been different. Uh, it depends on so many aspects. Um, it depends uh, 
I mean, it depends on the, 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 the country itself, the uh, conflict that is affecting that country, the situation, the, 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 uh, the, the, the type of, of files that the ICRC is actually uh, um, um, working on in, in these countries. It also depends very much on the team, uh, the type of colleagues you have. It's, it's different. It's, it's every, every country you go, every delegation you go, and every mission you do, it's really a different story. So you could write a book in each of them. Okay, thank you very much for your answer. Now that the clock is ticking for us to graduate, it's really nice to know about future career prospects and your story is like really inspiring. So thank you. And now that we know more about what you do, I wanted to ask in how much close contact do you get to the affected people or the relatives? Well, okay, the Red Cross has different, uh, the International Red Cross has different um, positions on the ground. So uh, the, 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 the position I, I I've been holding uh, when I was in the field uh, is always a backup office work. Uh, however, the interesting uh, thing is that despite that, uh, you always have contact with, with uh, beneficiaries or with affected uh, population. Um, for instance, the, it's very, very common that uh, the data and information managers and protection needs to assist the team uh, uh, while doing detention visits, for instance. So it's common that we accompany uh, or we do the, uh, some uh, uh, restoring family links activities with uh, people deprived of freedom, for instance, or exchanging the messages or facilitating calls. Um, sometimes when the, when the teams are in the field, um, you get to be, and you are in the office, you get to be receiving uh, some of the uh, affected people that comes to the office uh, for different for different um, uh, needs and uh, objectives. Um, so that it's it's not uncommon that in our position we are uh, in touch with affected uh, people. It's not on daily basis, uh, but it happens quite often. And actually, we encourage um, everyone in a delegation to 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 feel and to live that experience because this is what gives a little bit the sense and the the core of what we do, right? So it's good that we all feel part of, of the chain of the organization where every piece counts and every piece, piece makes things work. Um, so making and, and, and keeping that connection with the affected population, for me, it's everything. That's really interesting. I know that you've worked in Colombia most recently, but you also worked in Afghanistan Yemen. So in these places, how did you perceive the relationship between the Red Cross and the governments of these states where you worked in? Like, does the Red Cross disclose a lot of the information that you gather to these governments? Are they allowed to? Like, what is this relationship that you have with these host governments? Well, that, that actually really depends. Huh? Uh, uh, we, we, in every country where the, the Red Cross is, there's always obviously um, um, a work done with the, with the authorities, with different uh, organizations around, different stakeholders, also through the, the, the local um, um, Red Cross, which is uh, usually our, our counterpart in the country. So. Uh, we uh, cooperate with them a lot on, on all the activities we do. Um, so we, we, we have a lot of contact with, with, with authorities and they are one of our main um, interlocutors. 
but not the only ones. Um, the relationship is always depends. Uh, it depends on 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 the political situation, also on the perception of the organization that might uh, might uh, differ from one country to the other. Um, in terms of, of of information we share. Probably you know the the, the ICRC has um, established a confidential dialogue with the um, authorities and with the armed groups present in the country. So we don't make public um, information, but we with the data and the information we collect is actually used to have that confidential dialogue with them. Um, so we, we, from the protection perspective, we're trying always to influence. So, so we identify what what's not working, uh, what uh, issues might be might uh, might need to be tackled. Um, we gather data, we, anal we analyze that data, and uh, we use that to feed our dialogue with uh, the authorities. Now, this is done in a very confidential manner, uh, meaning it doesn't. Uh, we don't. We don't. Uh, disclose that information to 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 other organizations or to um, to other local stakeholders. We have, um, in particular, a lot of um, uh, cautions with uh, all the personal data that we collect. Um, and in the last years, in the ICRC, has done uh, a lot of effort to ensure that all the data, the personal data we collect, are collected and treat it according to uh, data protection uh, principles and rules. This principle and also the principle of, of do no harm, no? which is uh, guiding all our actions. Um, now, the relationship with the states, it's always um, a complex thing. So, I mean, not always, sometimes it's smoother than others, but um, it might not be easy for depending on the topics. Um, but there, I mean, we need to, we understand, we have to understand each other. So. And we, ICRC has a long experience in, you know, not o I mean, not only being an organization well known with a reputation, so that might ease, you know, the the um, the communication with the with the states and, and other stakeholders, but we also uh, treat um, uh, and and communicate with respect and uh, trying to understand well the context where we work, uh, trying to understand the difficulties that you know one side and the other might 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 face. So all this um, obviously has a strong influence on, 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 on all this. I actually have a follow-up question. So what could the host government do, for example, with the information that you gather? Like, is there a threat, a direct threat to the people who you're helping or to the people who you're gathering information from? That, that is carefully assessed, though. I mean, we, we work always based on the principle of do no harm. So so everything that is done is done with such care that we ensure that we would never disclose information if we know that that might risk uh, people. Um, and, and this is something that it's very clear usually in, in the dialogue with um, with the authorities. So, uh, so they know where we can get. Now, the, another important thing is that we we are not going to disclose personal info, personal, personal data if we don't have the consent of of uh, of the people we're we're trying to help. Uh, so that's another component um, of this that we we need to 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 take in in care. So from what you just explained to us, I gathered that your organization mainly focuses on individual human rights. 
So do you think that if we talk about this more broadly, that international organizations and their presence in countries affected by war or situations of violence really help those individuals or do they also contribute to a, so to say, broader systemic change in those countries or affected regions? Interesting question, not, not so easy to, to answer, I guess. Um, the, the, the mandate of the, of the International Red Cross is focused on 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 the, on the Geneva Conventions, right? So so it's uh, it's how uh, parties to to the conflicts uh, follow the the, the, the the rule of war, no? The the, the IHL uh, and the human rights as well. So um, the aim is at the end of the day uh, to get to assist the most vulnerable people that is affected by by war. That's our main objective. Uh, we don't uh, necessarily go into, I mean, we, we, we have in our in our action, I mean, some, some work that aims more at influence systemic issues. Um, that's always quite complicated and it depends on many, you know, on, 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 on many different aspects within the, the, the structure of, of a country. Uh, for that to happen, but um, but our aim at the end of the day, it's always to reach uh, the, the the people affected and the people that needs um, assistance and protection when there is no one else that can uh, actually do that. So, it, and everything that is done is around that. Yes, thanks for your explanation. That I just wanted to clarify because I think that's a really interesting aspect of your work. Yeah, I, I like to focus on helping the people that are most vulnerable. Yeah, we're doing a course on global justice now. So I am interested in knowing what you think the future of international organizations such as the Red Cross will be in the midst of increasing interconnectedness between nations. Do you think there will be a pushback towards these organizations or that nations will want to embrace them even more? Mm, I think that we're living in a very complex uh, context worldwide. So it's not easy to, uh, to foresee what's going to happen in the future. I think there's more, uh, from the perspective of the international organizations, there are clearly um, a lot of um, complexity in the, in the world we work today. Um, if we take, for instance, the 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 the, the conflicts today are not the same that they were a hundred years ago. Year ago, so it's there's definitely a need for for the Red Cross to adapt to that, and this is what mainly not only the Red Cross but all the different uh, interna international organizations are trying to do. Um, reaching uh, affected people, it might be uh, more and more complex, and we see, for instance, that there um, there is an increasing um, issue with people on the move. Um, um, so in the migration context, for instance, where there, there is already uh, a complexity that uh, we didn't face uh, maybe that much in the past. Uh, there is also in terms of, of uh, conflict, armed groups, etc. there is a also a level of complexity today um, that makes our work even more difficult. Also, I think it's it's uh, it's well known that security on the ground for humanitarian work it is it is worse today than it was in the past. So all these 
makes our work much more complex. And obviously, um, uh, priorities from the states might change. I don't think, however, the needs have disappeared and probably the needs have even increased. And that's, at the end of the day, the bottom line. And at least from, uh, from uh, what I think my organization is always looking at is, is how can we um, uh, influence so we can actually respond to those needs. I was wondering how it is and how dangerous it is to work on the ground as a woman. Also, just how psychologically or emotionally difficult it might be to be in these war-torn societies or in these places where there's constantly crimes and war and conflict and violence? Yeah, well, it's a good question. Um, I think there's a very personal perception, though. I mean, okay, there are this, this data on, on, on uh, and the statistics very clear in terms of how dangerous uh, being a humanitarian uh, worker is today in terms of incidents that we fear um, and all that. Um, but I don't think that it's something that you personally um, think much, or at least I'm talking by myself, um, when you decide to go to a country like this. Uh, obviously, there is a lot of uncertainty and there is also um, some fears but that usually my experience at least is that all these fears goes away the day you put your foot there <laughs> and then everything starts being a reality and then you start adapting obviously your I think your brain your mind the whole thing turns into a, a sort of survival mode in a way and most importantly you're never alone so it's not that you are going to a country like this on your own to see what happened you are really in a, in a structure um, with people who knows very well the context. We work with local colleagues, and these are usually key for us to also in our protection. Um, now, it's true that in some countries, it's more difficult to be, uh, to be um, a woman. That's, um, that's for sure, and there are certain limitations of what you can do. Um, I don't know if I have felt more... Um, afraid or I, ha I have had more limitations that many that other of my male colleagues that put a, uh, be a question uh, posed to them. <laughs> uh, I know people, I mean, male colleagues who have felt very, very scared in certain situations where um, me and other uh, female colleagues has uh, cope very well with that. And the contrary. Um, but obviously, in, in certain countries, you need to take uh, certain um, measures that our male colleagues don't. Uh, it might also influence, I mean, I never had that situation because I was never um, interacting that much with authorities on my side, in those countries specifically, uh, but it might that might have an influence uh, in the discussions with, with, with authorities. They might, you know, take you at a different level. But, however, I think, uh, and that's a bit of my, my personal experience, but uh, I have known uh, female colleagues that have very uh, much uh, built at so good communication with uh, very hard um, uh, interlocutors that any male has ever be able to do. Um, even in situations where it was thought uh, that because, um, because you were a woman, you wouldn't be able to reach or they wouldn't be taking you seriously. 
Um, I haven't I haven't felt that in any of the places that I've been actually. Uh, also in my side, I've I've been always uh, taken. I mean, treated very respectfully uh, at the colleague at the colleague level. Uh, you know, it, it's been a great experience. It's true, for instance, that in in some uh, Muslim countries, for instance, you, as a woman, you are not participating in certain activities that our uh, uh, male colleagues would, but you are able to participate in the females' uh, events that your male colleagues would. And so, you know, each gets the, their share. But you, you, you really need to, to be, you know, to adapt yourself uh, to each situation. Now, in, regarding the, fee, the, 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 the fear, again, eh, I, I, don't, I don't think that uh, there is one answer for that because it's really something very personal. I never felt um, fear as such, or at least at the moment where I was, because once you're there, you're focused on your work, you have a purpose, uh, you know, this is, this is what you want to do. So you put everything in the back of your mind. Uh, then you realize that afterwards, that's still in the back of your mind. So somehow it affects you um, and it gets you a little bit uh, defensive uh, by default, even if you are not fully aware that you are having that, that reaction. That, that's, that's very common. For, for instance, the level of stress in those countries um, usually goes high. I mean, working in this environment uh, with, uh, the, with the workload you might have, with the responsibilities you might have, and on top of that, facing a possible security um, concerns uh, is not uh, easy uh, every time. But, um, but again, motivation is all, right? And colleagues, that, that's crucial how close you are with the team and how well fit the team is, it makes completely difference also in terms of fear. Um, and I, I, I think, for instance, I, I remember being in, 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 in Afghanistan where many people uh, remember when I was first um, offered the possibility to, to go there. Obviously, uh, my mom, my friends, they were all like, you're crazy, you know, just don't go there, it's so dangerous, um, aren't you scared? And obviously I was scared before going there, but again, once I arrived there, I had a wonderful team, uh, we were working very well together, yes, there were situations that we went through that were scary, were bombs around the city, shootings, shellings, the things that when it's the first time, you obviously, you know, it's, it shakes you, that you somehow get used to it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, um, but again, it's, it really depends on the people you, you have around. So I never felt, felt uh, fear. On the contrary, for instance, I have all the contexts where situation might be very, um, very, very volatile, it's uh, Yemen. Um, and in particular, there has been always high risk in Yemen for kidnappings. That's one of the security, you know, um, the risk of being kidnapped was much more scary uh, than being on a, you know, uh, close to shelling or hearing gunshots and things like that. But then, for instance, when you get to countries, uh, which less level of 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 of, uh, of risk is like paradise. I remember arriving to Addis Abeba, for instance, where I worked also for another year, and that was after my my mission in Afghanistan, and I felt like I was in New York. I mean, 
you know, Addis Abeba looked like uh, the most safe place. And it is. I mean, it was uh, back in the days quite a safe city. But, you know, someone might think that it's not. And, and then obviously your standard <laughs> on the safe places goes, you know, down and down. <laughs> but then again, it's if you are um, if you have a purpose and an objective, it usually goes away. But it's uh, sort of very important that you take care of yourself uh, more than you would do normally. Uh, just precisely because the level of stress are, you know, it's usually high. So it's it's important that uh, you try to have a healthy life. You maintain limits, work, uh, work life. Yeah, maybe I was also wondering when you were working in like high risk areas, what did you and your colleagues do in your free time? What activities did you do when you weren't working? Kind of escape maybe the horrible things that are going on. Well, there was um, it, it, again. It's, it depends a bit on on the um, on the context and how the team uh, was, no. But for instance, in Afghanistan, uh, we were living all in a big compound, uh, so and we were sharing houses. So there were a lot of people. Obviously, there were dinners everywhere. You know, like every time someone someone was uh, cooking dinner in one house and the next, we were playing volleyball, for instance. We had this uh, field and that was the Saturday's um, event, uh, was the volley uh, game. That was a lot of fun. Um, it's all kind of stuff. We had, um, we have the ping pong tables, I mean, a lot of sports. Um, usually for me, what it always worked was to, to, to socialize. Um, it's true that when you are in the field, you, don't, you might not have a lot of free time, though. I mean, like your weekends are short term, your days, uh, you work a lot. So, you know, you get uh, um, to, to, your, to your house at night and you're so tired that you just sleep. Um, but then, yes, you, you have always a range of, of things you could do. We, we, we used to have, for instance, a place on, in, 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 in Afghanistan where we used to dance, you know, and I had a, another colleague who used to organize a yoga lessons, you know. Uh, we didn't have internet enough to, to have a YouTube, uh, you know, following on YouTube. So things like that um, are always happening. And, uh, and that's a bit the, the fun of it as well. And so everybody's in the same situation. They support each other. That was really interesting to hear your personal experiences and also what motivates you and maybe to circle back to your journey to where you are right now what made you switch your career quote-unquote so often and how it felt to start over so many times I mean obviously you did you didn't start from zero mm. you learn from every job and every experience is something that you take with you but I imagine it's quite difficult to start in a new organization yeah, it's actually quite difficult, the, the whole thing. I mean, I think my, my, my first step was, and the, I guess the most difficult one, was when I switched from uh, my work in, in Spain, um, in the government. Uh, it was, uh, you know, it was an interesting job. I spent there six years. I was learning a lot. It was my first, or not my first, but my second professional experience. Um, it was still a little bit... Uh, 
how you say, plain, you know, there was no much of, uh, so I was looking for uh, adventures, you know, and I was always telling to myself, okay, I, I, I chose the wrong uh, profile, you know, because archivist and adventure, it doesn't go hand in hand, right? <laughs> and, um, but then I discovered that I was wrong, you know, and that was when, when, when I applied to this position in, 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 uh, with, as a UN volunteer in Liberia. The conditions were very bad, eh? so I was uh, the salary was very low. Uh, they were not uh, um, giving me any assurance on on how long that uh, that would take. I decided to take the train. I saw it as an opportunity. At the beginning, it was six months. You know, they told me, okay, it's six months probation period. You're going. You try. And I saw. Okay, I thought, okay, there's nothing to lose. You know, let's take it. And if I don't like it, I'll I'll, I'll be back. Um, I think it was the moment I put the foot in uh, in Liberia, as scared as I was, because that's actually that was a more scary uh, um, experience for me than 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 going to to Afghanistan, where I had already you know experienced some some of this. But I was going to a country where I didn't know anybody, uh, working for an organization that was completely foreign to me. I had never, um, I mean, I knew very little people with international experience. So I was really an outsider to the whole thing. I had lived all my life in Spain, uh, very, you know, sort of streamlined there. Uh, but the time I arrived there and uh, I, I think it was the second week that I was invited to a dinner. I started meeting people, started driving around, seeing the vibe, the work. Uh, it was a peacekeeping mission. So I found it fascinating, the whole, I don't know, the soldiers from different nationalities uh, working in such a multicultural environment. For me, it was like eye-opening. And I was like, I'm not going to go back ever. <laughs> uh, everything was very appealing to me. Uh, but the things, things obviously change. And going back to, to, to your question, um, I remember that I, I knew that I didn't want to go back just yet to my life in Spain. So I had to uh, move forward. So professionally, I was also looking for something that, uh, that uh, you know, I could do um, that would open more uh, doors even. Uh, and there is where I got um, this temporary position in the, um, in the UN. It was uh, Elsa's mom who rescued me <laughs> and took me uh, to New York where I spent two years. And that was an amazing experience. Uh, also in terms of learning, the, the whole thing was uh, mind blowing. But again, I had this calling for, for the field. I wanted to be back there. And so, it's interesting here because when I was in the, uh, the university, I studied history, right? So I, I, I never thought of having this life at all. This was unplanned. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I knew that I, I studied history because I loved it. I, once I finished, I started working in libraries and in archives because I, you know, I liked that, uh, that angle and I had some experience investigating in archives. So I was like, you know, this is something that I could uh, definitely do. Um, but once I got and I moved to, to the UN, I saw that I could use the skills that I have um, um, experienced, I mean, that I have gained during the years. Obviously, the difficulty of this is that you, you give a lot when you have this kind of life, but you also, uh, I mean, there's, there are things taken from you. Uh, so the fact that you're changing countries so often, uh, obviously, you get used to 
be so close to so to, to many people and at the same time to be away from those people in a year time the relationship with with your with your with the people starts sort of changing a bit and more uh, importantly it really changed at least for me it really changed with my uh, family and friends in in spain with my family not so much but with my friends suddenly you become that person that comes twice a year and that they you know with uh, the, the, the living in these countries that they cannot really connect and uh, your experience is so foreign that you know it's sometimes difficult to reconnect with them however there is something that uh, during all these years moving around i always had very clear in my mind um, where i was coming from uh, and the fact that i wanted to um, to keep that that line into my life and uh, my my people in Spain, and I always made a lot of effort to maintain that because I knew that if everything falls, I know where to come from to to come back. You know, I know who is going to 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 hold me there. Um, then it is true that changing is difficult. But it also gives you, uh, as you said, it's like every time it's not a new job. But it's actually a new place, new colleagues, new boss. That's sometimes good, sometimes it's not good. That depends. Um, so it's, it's like having a new job every one or two years. I have to say that sometimes you also get tired of that because normally when you when you work on a, on a field mission, you want to build things. Uh, so depending on the context, a year it might be too short because by the time that you're building things, you already have to leave. So you have a few months to understand what you're doing or what you have to do. Then you have a few months to, to build that. And then once you are benefiting from everything you built, you have to go. Um, so I think one step got me to the next. And I even didn't realize. <laughs> it's, it's a process that happens. And, uh, and uh, it's true that at, in, in very few moments, you feel like you want to settle or you want to stop moving. I mean, I'm not thinking that uh, I'm moving that much now. As I said, I spent four years in, in, in uh, Colombia. Uh, I'm now in, based in Geneva, where I'm going to be minimum another four years. So it's, it's become like little lives in, in different places, which is also very, very rewarding. And then the most important thing is that you meet people everywhere where you go. And those people are still around. So no matter the country you are or you're going on holidays or for work, you always know people. And that's actually an amazing experience. Thank you so much for sharing these personal insights. I also think a lot of, especially young people who listen to this podcast can relate to this because most of us are international students. So we know what it's like to move around. And it's also really nice to hear what you can make out of your degree, even if it's, yeah, because... As we all know, PPE is very ambiguous. So it's nice to hear that it can go in so many different, but super interesting directions. Yeah, I always uh, remember how my, my parents always told me when I was trying to think uh, what to study, trying to be practical. And my parents were always like, study what you like. I mean, focus on something that you really like. The rest will come, you know? So, and actually it's true. It, it, I don't think it's that much important what you study, but actually the type of person you become. So it's always like this combination of, 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 of you, you, you have to believe in things and you have to be, uh, you have to have put the heart on it. And if you have the heart, you, you know, the rest you can learn. I think it was really nice how you were saying that 
um, your heart is in Spain, but you travel all over the world. And I think for us as international students, we are also kind of making our own life for us here in Amsterdam. But I know for me, I have my heart where my family is. For Maria, it might be in Munich, for Cecilia in Alicante. So it's, yeah, it's nice. But then it's also really nice how you have now an international family, Carmen, because you have people all over the world who love you. <laughs> and yeah, that's really nice. You've made roots in so many different places. So I think that's, from what I've been listening to you, that's probably a positive, a really positive aspect of your job, right? It is, it is. Uh, it's, it's one thing that, that uh, this work brings. It, but you're right, Elsa, it's, it's uh, having an international family and friends all over the place and uh, relationships have changed. Uh, and I have to say that, uh, that uh, internet and communication has facilitated that so much. You know, when I, when I started in, 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 um, in Liberia, the internet was horrible. I mean, we had a, we had a satellite uh, internet that during the rainy season simply didn't work. So, um, and we didn't have smartphones. So we have the Nokia. No? Uh, so the only way to talk to my family once a month when the internet allowed uh, through Skype that uh, most most of the time the camera was uh, wasn't wasn't going through and uh, so it was actually much more difficult to uh, to keep contact with the families. As I moved on, uh, it has become so much easier. I remember, for instance, in Yemen where where um, it was a really a confined um, experience. We were in a moment where we were not allowed to leave. I mean, we're going from how from the from uh, the office to to the department and the department at the office, and uh, so for me the the confinements in the corona it's not you know uh, I got it I have the experience it's fine, <laughs> but I, I remember that what actually made my life much more um, easy there it was that already I could connect with so many people I I could spend my weekends talking through through the internet that. It, that facilitated a lot uh, our life in that country. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was so interesting to hear everything you had to say, honestly. Very inspiring. <laughs> thank you so much and happy. Yes, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It was lovely. Thank you for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed the topic and our lovely speaker. Thank you, Carmen, for joining us. Thank you. And yeah, follow us on Instagram at PPE Encounters. Um, and remember to send us any comments or ideas you have for future episodes.